Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective, the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A student's perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www.astudentsperspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact University Hall of Innovation at gmail.com. My name is Paige Bechtel. And my name is Natalia Colasurdo. And today we're here at ASI Architectural Systems, Inc. in the ASI lab. And we're talking to Grace Shepherds and Nancy Jackson. So first, we're going to get a quick introduction from them, talk about their roles and how it can roll over into what we're going to interview them about for a student's perspective. So Grace, would you like to start? Yes, my name is Grace Jeffers. I'm a design historian and a materials specialist. I'm Nancy Jackson, and I'm co-founder of ASI Architectural Systems. And my role now is Chief Creative Officer and I'm responsible for all the sales and marketing collateral in our company. Wow, that's really great. Um, do you want to begin talking about how you two came to meet or how this partnership began? Uh, we, well, we met actually because I wrote an article about, uh, and, yes, yes, about the uh, architectural systems was the first, company where you could get really the decorative gouge wood panels in the 90s. And I wrote, an, I was an editor of the architectural material, building products magazine, and I wrote an article about the show, about the product line, and that's how we first met. I remember that. That was a fabulous article, and you really captured what we were doing. We were really bringing in uh, products and material collections that were on trend and really uh, dimensional and textured panels that hadn't been introduced into the commercial arena to the AV community. So I see like from that point on and forward to you guys have carried a lot of different roles and how they relate, especially to both your different professions kind of too. I'm curious, Grace, to hear a little bit about your writing background. I think that's an interesting way that you can actually conversation about what we do, and it's really important to be able to express the kind of things that we're trying to make um, either viable or educational for people around us. So I think that's a really important aspect that you are able to carry. Is that something you've always had in you? Uh, yes, actually, it's something I've done for a long time. Um, I actually went to art school, and even in art school, I wrote a lot. And then I went to the Bard Graduate Center for Studies in the Decorative Arts, and I um, I wanted to learn, so after I went to art school, um, I actually designed products and I would sell like patterns to printers that would become wall covering and textiles and things. And um, I worked with Maya Romanoff 
uh, and learned a lot about materials. But I really wanted to know, like, why is something, what are the elements of Chinese design? What are the elements of the French style? And so I went to Bard to learn more about those things. And uh, even though I would see things, I learned to describe them and write about them. I think it's very important, especially in our field, we're constantly trying to sell something and trying to explain ourselves why we chose this pattern over that pattern, why we chose this type of texture instead of this texture. So it's really important. And I guess I, I owe it to you that like that's really a great uh, specific point that you picked up. It's very being very detailed, I guess. In that sense. I wanted to understand. Yeah. I wanted to understand, and one of and one of the things that one of the things I did was I spent ten years of my life working on an encyclopedia, and so you want to see the things that we only have words for. And the thing that was so great about Architectural Systems Inc. was that I could see the things that it was the first, the only showroom I know of where they have such a diversity of materials and products and surfaces. So that is really what forged our, our several year, several collaborations. <laughs> that, um, but I, I, what I do think is that designers think visually and we think sensor with that senses, but the clients tend to be verbal thinkers. So that is a bridge that has to be gapped, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're going to be sent to uh, investors that want, they want the visual appeal, but no why, mm -hmm. you know, they need, they need the logic behind. It can't just be a visual exercise for them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of frustration when we don't understand something. And I that's, where that's the challenge for the designer to be able to articulate to the client what, what, why they are selecting surface materials, especially. And, and I think that um, the synergy between uh, Grace and myself and our companies is, is really uh, based on the love of materials and, and what they evoke and what they say. And materials are very powerful. They can transcend the brand. They create memorable spaces, which is really the essence of what you want to achieve because whether it's a residential home, if it's a retail environment, a hotel, or even a restaurant, and you want people to come back again and again, because you know that's what makes the world go around, the business of design. And you were talking about not only client to designer, designer client, but also I guess you speaking about how uh, Grace might have written about your business and how do you pick up on those uh, things that she had said. Do you pay, you pay attention as a business and wanting to be successful, you pay attention to what people are talking about in your uh, industry. So you also have to pick up on what, they, on what the audience wants. It might not be a face-to-face -face client, but you need to appeal to those people that you're not even well, coming face-to-face -face with. You know, we've been in business for 30 years, and I, and I think the success of that longevity has always been, and my personal favorite, is understanding the psychographics of the brand. So even if it's a corporate office entity, you know, they, they want a certain environment and the materials speak to that, that can be iconic or signature material that represents the brand. Mm -hmm. And if it's ecological, just that subtle sustainable material mm -hmm. or, or even a color 
quite what we really need to do is uh, customize and develop materials and see the possibilities in that to deliver that expectation and, and what the designer wants to provide for the client. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, that that's the essence of what we do and that, that's very important. But the challenge always I felt for the designers was being able to sell it to the yeah. client. You know, because they're, they're not always visual and they don't always uh, anticipate what they're going to receive or if they get it, maybe they change their mind. So it's, it's really being flexible and, and really getting a grasp of what the expectation is to, to provide that material or materials that's going to satisfy the design vision. And going off that, I think about sustainability that you talked about root of the product and I think that's where you know, originally we're drawn to company of ASI um, just further sustainability and the products that you guys offer. Now would you say that's the backbone of your company as a philosophy? Yeah I think we were very early on uh, supporters of sustainable products and they weren't very attractive right. uh, at the inception of them. They were like rubber floor from yeah, you know, yeah. recycled car tires. They were really not aesthetically pleasing. And, and also they were um, costly. Yeah. So that, that had to balance out. I mean, and not always durable. Like not always the performance aspect of recycled materials had to be really developed. Right? I mean, I, I think it's assumed now that manufacturers know that they have to have certain uh, you know, policies and they have to be able to do certain things. Uh, they, they're required to do that to stay competitive and, and be selected. Um, you know, the bar gets higher and higher. It's, uh, it's trying to keep up with those. Right, then they want to know reclamation. So mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, you're not ever going to get to where you want to be, but I, I think that everybody's mindful that they have to produce uh, ecologically correct yeah. product. Right. I mean, it could be from many different... Um, Ways we uh, represent redistributed hardwood flooring for many years that was being produced in a prison, <laughs> so that that made it very cost effective yeah. because they only bought out prisoners when they had work. Mm -hmm. um, it became a very successful program, and they were able to be vertically integrated. They bought in the hardwoods and knew every single process. They learned to trade when they went out. So that, that's, you know, socially yes. responsible. Mm -hmm. So that, that was, that's the aspect of sustainability. Yeah, I think uh, it's about finding that happy medium, like with us as designers, you know, there's what's trending, there's what's actually happening, and there's also what's uh, good for the environment, ecological. It's, I think it's like finding that balance between like what you believe in and like what you not like have to keep up with, but I guess. And not having to sacrifice aesthetics and that's where it's the designer's job not to lose that side of that um, no matter what requirements you get to meet. Well I think what happens is if it's aesthetically correct sometimes the price point is a little different and and to overcome that the government created standards where they gave uh, tax incentives and that's where you had the lead uh, and, but lead has changed also and now it's more about wellness and biophilic design and bringing in greenery into the space and a lot of our dimensional wood panels lend themselves to that you know new trend of mm -hmm. yeah. bringing nature into mm -hmm. the space so.
Do you guys find yourself trying to keep up with trends? Are you kind of making your own trends? Do you pay attention to those things, like what's happening around you to your other competitors? Or are you trying? I think we've them? always been uh, forerunners of, uh, I think we've always had that collective eye that we, we knew what was <laughs> happening. I We've had a pulse. I, yeah, I can attest that architectural systems in terms of in, in being a company that sells multiple materials mm -hmm. has always been a leader in design. That you've definitely always had the eye candy before anybody else. And um, I do want to say that uh, there is a language to materials. And this idea of using materials to represent a brand values. And Nancy is one of the best translators. She's able to really get to the core when she works with designers and with brands, she's really able to translate their values into materials, into tech, you know, color, texture, uh, aesthetic values that, that are, are in keeping with the brand. The question of sustainability is really, interesting because i find there are two different schools of designer there are designers that really are visually driven and they're thinking in terms of color texture form surface luster um finish and then there are the designers that really are driven by uh issues of sustainability and those come first and so i think it's important to understand where your priorities are and then move to the other side from from there you know understanding that both designers yeah. are, are still confused about even where they want to be and i think yes. you have a lot of uh, wonderful you've given presentations where you try to clarify it and put it in a way that they can make decisions easily yes well what i try to do in my work is take bigger concepts and make them bigger issues. I, I study a lot of materials resourcing issues and and uh, and I try to make them, uh, actually I've been very successful in making them very accessible yes. to any designer's mind. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, actually Lead4 has really, I, I've been informed that a lot of my research on wood has mm -hmm. been adapted in the Lead, the, changes in the lead for standard. So the ways of thinking about materials. So that's what I do well. It's like, well, what do you need to be thinking about wood? What do you need to be thinking about laminate is one of my favorite materials. And I have a long history of working with Wilson Art, for which I'm very grateful for that relationship. And um, the, so my name you know, is how to approach and they were here um, at ASI topics a lot of my CEUs are about, right? Where Nancy is really about. My CEU is about the power of materials. Yes. And, and how they can translate a brand and, and you know, mm -hmm. uh, create a sense of place. Now, what kind of knowledge and like this education, like we take um, different courses at school at the university uh, regarding lead. Like we touch on sustainability and aspects of adaptive reuse, especially within the interior program. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the most prominent aspects that should be reaching the schools and maybe those classes that we probably didn't get to maybe in university? Or do you, and do you think like these classes are kind of mandatory and like everyone in design school should be learning about 
it's because some schools probably don't or even maybe not touch upon it as well. Until you're studying for your exams and some things become more relevant than others. I think it's, you know, comes from the culture of the firm that you will ultimately find a place at, you know, what their position is and the position of the client because sometimes it's client driven, you know, so it, it's what's the culture at the firm, I think, uh, you know, what's really important to uh, their values. I actually, I, I sit on an ASID council that is making a roadmap for education on the professional level, really saying if you're going to be a licensed professional, what should your knowledge base be? And I, um, I, I can tell you outright that more knowledge about materials needs to be gained. Um, and, and even practical knowledge about how things are installed, how one material meets another material, about specifying multiple materials in the same installation. Uh, what, wellness is, the, is huge, huge. And, and it's really in, in its infancy, really. We're only beginning, we've just kind of realized, oh, wellness is a thing. Where are we gonna go from here? Um, and I would also say practice of design is a big thing that we know that there needs to be more education about how to run your business. So talk about sustainability. So your business alone is sustainable, right? Like, and how, how to, um, that that's very important to the yeah. community and very needed in the community. I think that's very important that you said that because I find myself, I was lucky enough to have an intern, I've been interning over the past couple of summers while I'm still at school. And these are the things that I have learned through my internship, but people or uh, other students who have not had that opportunity to intern will not know those things like materials and how reps work and how all those things are applied. And it's all that lingo that you pick up in an office and you don't learn it to get there. But I think if we can have that preconceived knowledge before we actually step in, it would be that much more beneficial. I always said um, in, in our other showroom, we used to give uh, student tours all the time. And um, the, the one thing that I always stress was they don't teach this in design school, mm -hmm. the design business etiquette. And it really is about the reps and the relationships and how important that is, that you, you don't owe a rep a, a specification necessarily, but if they do follow up to find out why or why not, you're using that material, it, it, the etiquette is to, to answer them. Well, it was too expensive. Well, the client changed its mind because you're, you don't want to burn your bridges. You don't want to ask, ask, ask. And then, because you know, studies show, first the designers look online, they speak to their colleagues, but the next step, Really, they want that face-to-face -face interaction and that tactile, you know, understanding of the material, and they rely on the reps. So, so the reps can make or break you, and because yeah. the nature of our business is problematic, and you, the best laid plans, Grace, you'll have a problem on a job site. Mm -hmm. So, who do you call? Not Superman. You call the rep. <laughs> and so, you're basically Superman. <laughs> so if you have the right footing in your yeah. relationship, of course. So, so that's really important. I think that's overlooked that that reliance on people in the industry that are not your colleagues. That you know, you really need that business etiquette yeah, knowledge. I think, I think it also branches off of that, like the whole rep side of things. People don't even know that's not like a job, but 
people might start off as designers. I've talked to reps before that they ended up going into the rep field because whether they can't do a nine to five desk job, they like being out and being a personal, yeah, dynamic. It shows how versatile this industry really is. There's a job for everybody and every kind. Yes. That usually happens in a in a down cycle. <laughs> I like can appreciate more of the conversations that I start to have with reps though, more often and especially like a lot of these interviews too, I think have provided some of our other uh, hosts with that opportunity to talk to people, uh, understanding, because we don't really get to have conversations with you as often as we wish, whether we were in firm and we talked to our project managers and things like that, but there's another level of respect that's really nice and to hear your perspective on things is just definitely helpful in every single aspect. Of and I'm glad to hear Nancy talk about the etiquette mm -hmm. between the specifier and the rep, mm -hmm. because reps really do so much for the and for the for the community and in terms of like sampling uh lunch lunch lunch. oh yeah. yeah all the all the events that they sponsor and and it's very interesting to me because um even looking at this from the ASID, you know, the ASID perspective, council perspective, that if this was in the medical profession, it would be illegal to do how much architectural specification reps do for their customers. And yet there's some very little conversation about, I'm going to bring this up at the next ASID meeting, about how, what is the proper etiquette for the relationship? Yeah, because it is a relationship, right? You need that rep, they also need you. So how do you respect each other and work together, form a partnership with your reps is very important. It shouldn't be so one-sided. Mm -hmm. That that that's the point. No, so. and and what I what I what I actually recommend often to firms is to have fewer suppliers and have better relationships with those suppliers. Like because you will have if you talk about you know, lead or wellness or anything, you're going to be leaning on your reps for that information, right? You're going to, you need them to help you gather everything you need to sell your job, not just samples, more that goes beyond samples. And you need them to sell, help you sell your project to your customer. So um, there is that question, what, what is your, what should your reciprocal relationship be? And, and the, the business spread of that continues into the uh, architect and designer historically does not purchase the materials. Mm -hmm. It goes out to bid. Mm -hmm. So so the rep protects your design intent because they're the ones, um, you know, in the trenches that are making sure that it gets purchased, that the, that the specification follows through to the installation. Always the end. They're yes. Like Every yes, step of the way. because you know uh, contractors like to switch specifications. They like to, you know, uh, maybe they have the same kind of material in their, you know, warehouse from another job. They don't want to buy new whatever it is. Uh, you know, that's you really know my joke was like well, maybe their brother-in-law sells it. So <laughs> you know, you you have to always uh, you know respect that they're protecting your design intent. And, and another issue Level of trust is, is, you know, sometimes the budgets change throughout the project. So, so to give the opportunity to that rep that created that, you know, specification with you, the opportunity to 
provide an alternate mm -hmm. before you go right to someone else or a contract to come up with an alternate. Oh, the owner doesn't want to pay $5 a square foot for that hardwood. Here's an alternate, mm -hmm. you know, to say to the representative, the, the, the budget changed. Here's that problem. Do you have, do you, have uh, you know, another type of material? Maybe it's engineered differently. It could be, you know, less expensive and still have that, give them the opportunity. Maybe they can't, and, but that's okay because you reach out to them. So that's that's the etiquette. And part. it's also, it's smart for you to, for the designer, really, it's smart yes. to be, to say, you know, Reps are not just sample runners. Mm -hmm. They really are problem solvers. They are invested in and the success of the project. They are invested in the success of the project. That's how they get paid. <laughs> so you should um, re reach out to them and say, I'm having this issue, because they'll all go back to corporate, and or they'll help you with material selection within their line mm -hmm. and uh, be able to solve problems. Right. I think it boils down to again, like so, basic communication skills is what we need to yes, be good yes, at and, yes. Like on our on our emails, on our whatever uh, way we are communicating. Yes, with them. and reciprocity. This idea that it's a mutual relationship. Mm -hmm. It's a mutual, and you know, it, this is this is going to sound simplistic and maybe a little catty, mm -hmm. but I, it's as simple as this. I've sat through many, many lunch and learns, usually because I'm the speaker, but I'm not the host, right? And I cannot believe the ends of per, just as simple as this. A, a rep will ask the firm, what are the dietary restrictions in the firm? Inevitably, it is as long as you're armed. Right? And nobody, so they come in and there's like the kosher vegan. and the gluten-free and the, and the vegan, vegan and the no vegan, no fruit. And no very seldom <laughs> do I ever hear any designer say thank you. Because what happens is like, not only is this poor rep having to bring, you know, whatever, but they, they provide this lunch, but then they went the extra mile to have the special yeah. meals made for every, the and there's just not even a thank you. It's like there should at least be a thank you. I as simple as that. Thank you for hosting this lunch and learn for us. I think it's that like idea of like, yeah, they need us, but that's not the case. Like you said, it's not the case. But on the flip side too, so, this is something I tell designers all the time. This is why in system because I lecture a lot about sustainability issues. And I tell designers, you are the front line of change. Because if you start telling manufacturers we want products that you know we want ethical healthy products and you will push change through so the forefront of change really comes with you because a lot of companies want to please you so um but then you know the other thing is rewarding change right like if you're going to say oh we're not going to like with the red list or or something right that, that to say once manufacturers do make change to reward the change, right? This is something else that in somehow the hustle bustle of everything is not, is constantly overlooked. This is so nice. I get to get this off my chest, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I see it all the time and I'm like, well, you know what, you know, if, if you have this um, opportunity to express this on a student level perspective. Yeah, you're just getting so ahead of the game. Yes, yes. Yeah, we're just, trying to, 
embed in the student's mind how important it is to understand business and to get, and we're in a sense getting ahead of it, having this conversation with you right now and right. hopefully making a change like just sooner rather than later. Yes, you could be the ambassadors of business. Actually, <laughs> okay. I would love that. I think that's a great idea. I love it. Yeah, I think the culture. Is new. <laughs> this is, I really always said this, you know, I wonder now with, you know, it's, you asked if we were a material bank and, mm -hmm. and we are, but I wondered, you know, if this, everything's like online and this and that is, is, is my point of view about business etiquette is it antiquated, yeah. but, but it, but it's not, manners never, ever go out of style, it's, you know, mm -hmm. um, and and good business doesn't go out of style. Mm -hmm. And these are things that will be to your advantage if you have the knowledge and yeah. can implement that change of that uh, really bridging a more reciprocal relationship and, and leaning on the expertise of a representative to work with you to, to help you achieve your design vision, mm -hmm. but more importantly, protect it throughout the process from specification through the bidding to the installation, because often you're on to the next project, mm -hmm. because that's what you do, you, you design, you know. Um, I'll just share a story from my early career when I pounded the pavement every day. <laughs> I, I had a hospitality designer I worked with that did um, the, the St. Regis hotels and uh, before they were bought out by Starwood, so there were many locations. and. Um, she called me to bring a sample for one of them, and then I said to her, oh, while well, I'm here, Marsha, what, what's, what's the status of this location, that location? She said, oh, Nancy, you're always selling, selling, selling. I said, oh, Marsha, you're always designing, designing, designing. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's what we do. So it was, I got all the information I needed, and, <laughs> and that's how you move forward. I think those both coming to fruition with those types of conversations because it comes with having a closer relationship that makes those things easier to just be able to say whether the item is actually spec'd or not. If you have a conversation often or if you're actually picking up a phone call to call your rep just to say hello and not actually just for a business deal transaction, that's what makes all of this uh, a lot smoother. Yes. I think it betters your understanding of that product because now you gain that knowledge that they gave you and yes. it helps you communicate better in the future with future products and materials just like that. Of course, you're informed and you're knowledgeable and then you bring that on to your next project and you grow from there. Because and, and really at some of the top firms I've seen, um, they'll invite their favorite reps to their Christmas party, yeah. you know, or the, the one of the principal's birthday parties or something that it's not uncommon that it, it is a personal, it, it is, a, a, a genuine personal relationship, uh, which is again why why I believe that you should have you know this idea of having you know 400 product lines in your library. It's like have fewer manufacturers have mm -hmm. deeper relationships with them, and it, it goes it is facilitates. Then, the, and then you also these, understand then what you want more, mm -hmm. what you want more out of different. So it looks like we're running out of time, but yeah. we really appreciated the conversation, especially in bridging the gap between design and sales and just understanding how important this conversation is to have. How important it is to sustain a business. Mm -hmm. um, so if you wouldn't mind telling uh, the folks who are watching how we can reach you on social media or anything like that, if you'd like to share. Uh, our handle is uh, 
ARC systems, A-R-C-H-S-Y-S-T-E-M-S, and we will need to tag, follow, and share. And you can reach me at gracejeffers.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-J-E-F-F-E-R-S. And on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at the Grace Jeffers. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. This has been another episode of The Student's Perspective. Bye. Bye. We hope you like this discussion with the design industry from a student's perspective. Please like, share, and comment, and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.